This is episode number 220 of the Rising Man podcast with Chief Philip Scott. The urgency to achieve status and power can often be hidden behind the motivation to serve. What's up, Rising Man family? Thank you for joining me here again today. My name is Jedi Azuma. I am the founder of the Rising Man movement and the host of the Rising Man podcast. Before we jump into today's episode, one last opportunity for you guys to register yourselves for Dojo, our four-day self-mastery and embodied leadership training. It's happened in September 15th to the 18th right here in Austin, Texas. You can go get registered today by going to risingman.org slash dojo. If, you, if we've run out of seats and there's no, there's no longer seats available, we will be doing this again in the beginning of 2023. So fear not, but swing over there anyway, get yourself familiar with it and get yourself registered for next year. All right. My guest today is returning for the fourth time here on the podcast. That might be a record. Chief Philip Scott has walked the native path for over 30 years, learning from and sanctioned by traditional medicine, holy people, tribal spiritual leaders, shamans, and elders from several indigenous cultures. Annually sundancing in the Lakota tradition for over two decades, he is a ceremonial leader entrusted to share indigenous wisdom and traditional healing practices with the contemporary world. In addition to directing and teaching the programs at the Institute in Northern California, which he founded in 1994, he maintains a private healing practice, performs ceremonies, lectures, conducts intensives, and leads pilgrimages worldwide. In this episode, we focused on the catastrophes of society, climate, inflammation, and the metaphor of Mother Earth going through menopause. We discussed response versus reaction to overwhelming worldly events, how people attempting to deny the reality of climate change is a greater metaphor for how the masculine has denigrated the feminine. Embracing discomfort, moving away from the illusion of Western freedom and returning to indigenous freedom. We discussed rites of passage and ceremonies as a means to restore a mentality based in absence of concern for self and embracing sacrifice for the good of the people. Chief Philip offered his perspectives on how to reintroduce initiatory models and practices while being sensitive to cultural appropriation. He also spoke about the distinctions between plant medicines or sacraments and recreational substances, why it's important to understand the difference between the two and how we hold them. We discussed decolonization, navigating urgency, and finding the root of our motivations so that our egos don't dictate the future. Lastly, we reflected on the disposable nature of our consumer society and why resolution and closure are important practices to embrace as adults and leaders. Without further ado, Chief Philip Scott. All right, Rising Man family, I've got Chief Philip Scott joining us here again today. This is the fourth time that we've had you here on the show now. I was, I was looking back at our notes and we're, we've done this, I think it spans over almost almost two years now because we were talking about the pandemic in one of our earlier episodes. So kind of cool to be here now and see what kind of wisdom you have to share today. So thanks for taking some time, Chief, and always good to jam with you. Uh, it's a pleasure always to be with you. I really love you and support the work that you're doing out in the world to serve men and humanity. Likewise. Likewise. Well, let's get rolling because I know you've got so much to say on the topics we brought here today. And one of the first places I want to begin is something I know that you spoke about recently at an event you attended that you were asked to come and facilitate, present. And you you mentioned this term, the, the catastrophes of society. I just want to break that down for a second, because even that's an interesting combination of words. So when we talk about catastrophes in society, what does that mean? And, and what are you speaking to? Well, when I track what's transpiring in the world, I, I notice some very significant motifs that are emerging. And there's an interconnectivity between all of them, right? So we cannot deny our impact as human beings on this earth. Right. And the, the earth is warming. And as a consequence, we see these changes, which have been prophesized by indigenous people uh, for millennia. But the reality is that the earth is warming. And as a consequence of our actions, we are directly impacting her. And so we see, for example, you know, here within California, the wildfires that are raging here, the wildfires raging in Australia, we see the, the bleaching of the corals right, um, in various parts of the world. And um, the significant weather phenomena as a consequence of our direct impact. And the reality is that our earth, she's becoming inflamed, right? that there is a rise in temperature. And if we see the analogy within ourselves, what happens? We call that a fever, right? An inflammation. And so our earth is becoming inflamed. And as a consequence of this inflammation, 
um, she is endeavoring to self-regulate, which is also what the human body and the human organism also does when we have a fever, right? There's a, a mechanism for attempting to cool it down internally, but oftentimes we have to rely upon external sources. And those external sources are cool packs, for example, in different parts of the body. And depending upon the extremity of that, we can uh, move into a state of death as a result of too much heat inside the body, right? Hyperthermia, as it's called, right? Mm -hmm. And so that can be quite deleterious to the human organism. Well, again, we have both scientists who are corroborating indigenous wisdom and knowledge saying, listen, it becomes unsustainable if we continue to allow these global temperatures to rise based upon our human um, unsustainable trajectory in our impact, right? Mm -hmm. So she's regulating uh, herself. And as a consequence, we're seeing these fires that are emerging. But we're also seeing um, fires emerging in other ways, uh, an escalation, if you will, of the wars, aggression, and violence that is occurring in our world. And for me, that's a direct result of this inflammation that's happening on the earth because we are connected to her directly. Yeah. Well, I 100% agree with the analysis that, that you're giving, especially there towards the end where you're pulling in these other extremities of the core issue that the the planet heating up causes. There's There's these consequences. There's a sequence of events that occur as a result as of a ripple that happens from the source of the of the planet heating up and i remember it made me think when you were talking about inflammation and using that as a metaphor it made me think of this poem i wrote back when i was in my mid-20s traveling around and this idea of mother earth going through menopause happened mm -hmm. you know like that the, the transformation that a significant change and obviously using the comparison between the planet as a, as a feminine female being going through this significant temperature or a homeostatic shift. And I remember when I was a kid, I was just thinking about this a little bit more. When I was a kid and I started to see and experience my mom going through menopause, I remember it would be winter and she would just have these spells where her body would just heat up and she, there was nothing she could do. And she would go and just stand out in the sub- zero temperatures of winter in the Northeast. And, and I'd be like, what are you doing? You're, you're crazy, mom. She's like, I'm just trying to cool down. And so it also makes me think of, um, to, to keep rolling with that metaphor, that I remember when my mom would go through menopause, it wasn't just her temperature. It was also hormonal. It was emotional. There was mental challenges, all the types of things that she went through that I think a lot of women go through. Also an under-discussed topic. So that's sidebar, right? Um, but it, it reminds me of the way that myself, my brothers, my, my dad and everyone around her would respond or react to her in those times. And there were responses that could be supportive, right? Just accepting and loving her and, and doing our best to understand where she was and trying to support her as she was going through this huge change on a biological, physical, mental, emotional level. And there was also times where we, I know for myself, I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for my family, but I definitely didn't show up as my best in support of my mom during those times. So again, the parallel between those metaphors of, of menopause and how this applies to the planet changing, there's so many ripples out from that, that one core event that you're discussing. And I think about the difference between how people respond or react during mm -hmm. overwhelming worldly events. And we're yeah. starting to see these things happen, especially the uh, the mass shootings, right? And all the other things that have been happening as well. So speaking to that, uh, let's talk about the ripples, the impacts that come from this greater central event. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, just to honor your mother, right? So there was this impulse for her as, you know, in, in her time of menopause in that shift into the next phase of, of the, the feminine journey, right? She had this heating up and she had the natural inclination and impulse to cool herself down by standing outside in, in winter, right? And in and, and the snow. And though it seemed crazy to yourself and your brothers and your father, right? It was something that she did instinctively, right? In order to, to cool herself down. And, you know, the earth is doing that as well through her own self-regulating mechanism. But it's also our responsibility as a species you know, you talked about the reactions to this. And so there are still people that are attempting to deny the reality 
of what's happening globally in terms of the rise in temperatures. And for us, this is very dangerous because we have to really begin collectively to endeavor to, to shift our actions so that there can be the cooling of the planet as well, because we've been directly impacting her. Our actions, therefore, have to reflect a different relationship, right? And that means also the, um, and to answer your question, I'm going to tie this in here a little bit. For me, this has to do with the denigration of the feminine, okay? We often will regard with indigenous cultures that we see the earth as a living entity who is our mother, right? So there's a, a regard about Gaia and Mother Earth, right? And so um, if there is a, a, a culture of the denigration and the suppression and oppression of women, then that in and of itself is going to place a disregard and disrespect upon the mother. And that's what we're seeing now with the pollution and the ravaging of her. Right? Yeah. And that is the, um, essentially, that's the, shall we say, unhealthy patriarchy, right? And of course, when I talk about the patriarchy, that's a collective dream. It's not just gender specific, right? And so it's all of our species that are um, essentially not uh, taking a balanced approach to understanding the world, right? And so in terms of this reflection, we see this playing out in the violence, as you mentioned, in terms of the mass shootings, right? That's the escalation for me of this inflammation, of the aggression and the violence that's happening in the world from this inflammation. And of course, we see this occurring in the wars that are being waged elsewhere, not just only in Ukraine, but in Somalia, in Syria, in Yemen, in, in different parts of Africa now, in Mozambique, uh, return to Somalia. Um, and of course, it's still occurring in Afghanistan. So we have all these wars that are being waged, right? And generally, it's under the guise of an antiquated paradigm of conquest, right? This is where we have to understand that as a species, we have to begin to embrace a different way of being in the world. And so, you know, for example, what transpired in Ukraine, for me, is a, is a direct reflection of also what happened here in, the, in, the, in, in Turtle Island, in North America, Right. You had colonizers coming in from the outside and in the name of manifest destiny and the doctrine of discovery, what did they do? They swept west and they began to exterminate anyone or anything that stood in their way in the acquisition of land and resources. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that exact same uh, scenario playing itself out in Ukraine, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the, the correlation by seeing that this is an antiquated paradigm of colonization, right? That really needs to be addressed globally and eliminated because the countless suffering that's occurring, the unnecessary deaths, as well as these horrific shootings that are happening in the United States and all of the rhetoric that has that is trying to obfuscate, trying to really move away from what the real essence of the issue is, which is essentially eliminating the access to weapons that are really unnecessary for uh, civilians to be carrying. Yeah. Well, uh, you make so many uh, great points there. I've, I've got a few things I want to say in, in response to that. Uh, number one is, uh, again, continuing on with the, with the metaphor we have here of, of a planet being inflamed or, or a, a woman, a, a mother earth going through menopause. There's, I mean, there's the obvious events that we can all point to. And I think many of us would all get on the same side of when it comes to extreme violence, uh, especially violence towards women, these things that fall on that end of the spectrum where it's, it's really difficult to challenge that it's, 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 it's hard to defend acts of that nature for me, especially when in this conversation of what it means to be a man, what it means to be of service to a community, to a family, to our planet in, in the way that men are capable of, uh, in, in a masculine way, to me is, is about how, how can I make my actions more congruent with pure service, not service with an agenda, not service with an et cetera or an asterisk or something else attached to it. And I think this is the more subtle piece that most of the people who listen to this podcast are probably going to be able to benefit from because 
let's just use climate change for as an example, right? I think there's many people, probably most people who listen to this podcast are going to be on the same side of, hey, the climate is changing. Yes, we need to do some things to make this better. I love solar power. I'm all for electric vehicles. But at some point, every single one of us, or at least say many of us, I won't make a broad stroke, but many of us have a limit to where we're willing to compromise our wants and desires. How far am I willing to compromise myself, what I want, what I feel like I need, whether it's my biological instincts or impulses or just my egoic desires in favor of something bigger, something that's bigger than just me. Um, for example, uh, you know, I'm all for save the planet. I'm all for solar power. And then people are still driving around gas guzzling vehicles. It's like, well, well, how is that congruent with the other things that you said? Well, I still need to get around. It's like, okay, well, we all have desire for a desire for comfort. And I, I don't, I, I mean, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on just comfort and the pursuit of comfort as humans. Cause I think that's also playing into this where I'm willing to compromise my comfort to a degree, but all of us have a, have a limit to where we will do that. And oftentimes that's where the push needs to happen. How, how uncomfortable am I willing to get in service to or in favor of a future that I may never get to see? Yeah. Well, so that's probably a dangerous question to ask myself. Because <laughs> a person who's a Sundance leader, I'm willing to make sacrifices and be uncomfortable right for the people but what we're really talking about is a shift in definition okay away from the illusion of western freedom which is essentially tantamount to i'm going to do whatever i want to do whenever i want to do it that's basically the definition of freedom in the western colonized world mm. but from an indigenous perspective that's not freedom that's selfishness Right. So, uh, you know, the the whole mask issue, for example, right, in terms of that sovereignty, right, in native country, when the children went back to school on the res, and they also implemented a mask mandate, there was no contention, because they wanted to safeguard their elders. Right? In fact, native, uh, the res was actually asking for PPE, asking for assistance. And so myself and, and, and the Institute uh, arranged for you know, PPP, a PPE rather, to be disseminated to different reservations because they wanted to safeguard their elders. In fact, they had in, on uh, the Pine Ridge Reservation, they had armed warriors saying, you cannot enter into our territory here because we will make sure that our people are safe. So it's a different understanding of freedom, which is based upon interconnectivity and interrelationship, not selfishness, right? And, you know, of course, most of the listeners are going to say, yeah, I'm on board with, with global support and, and uh, making sure that we minimize our impact. You know, and even as you mentioned about the uh, sovereignty of women's rights, but yet right now in the Supreme Court of the United States, right, those rights that we think are you know, should be standard, are being uh, put into question, right? And so a, a woman's physical autonomy, right, is now subject for debate by basically men, right? So, uh, you know, we do have this ongoing uh, conflict and issue regarding this. Whereas if there is an understanding of, of freedom, which is based upon absence of concern for yourself, rather than a self-absorption, right? If we really are understanding our interrelationship and interconnection, then I'm willing to make sacrifices so that the whole would be able to flourish, right? Mm -hmm. And all make those adjustments, right? Because that's how the earth is also going to cool by us all collectively working together to minimize our impact. And that requires that level of reverence and respect and connection and cooperation and solidarity. Yes. I want to highlight that last piece you got to the, the absence of concern for yourself, because I, I would say that that is a colonized mindset. Right? That is a very colonial mentality. I think that's very, uh, very embedded in Western philosophy. Going back to what I said about comfort, I think I like what you said about absence of concern for self. Cause I think that's really the contrasting point there. And for me, that 
is always something that needs to be modeled. I don't think, uh, certainly I, I know this because I have children, that children don't arrive into this world instinctively absent of concern for themselves. In fact, as children, that's their job is to be concerned for themselves and to scream out when they're hungry and to let the adults and the, you know, their, their protectors and guardians know when they need something. But it's the shift from that natural instinctual childhood mentality into more of this adult mentality that often fails to happen. And why I myself am so passionate about rites of passage and initiatory models that that are reintroducing a model for exactly what you said, the, the ultimate, the, the sacrifice for on behalf of the community and the family on behalf of future generations that we may never see. That's how do we shift into that? Cause to me, that's, that's the, the root of this type of conversation. Well, as you have been obviously uh, embodying in your own life, as well as, you know, your mission and purpose with uh, the men that you serve is rites of passage and ceremony, right? Because at the heart of that is an awareness of selflessness, right? To be able to sacrifice, to take on, you know, to fast without food and water and sleep, say in a traditional hamblecha, right? Or to, to, to sun dance, right? Um, to literally sacrifice your flesh and your blood for the benefit of other people, right? For the world. And so, um, we're actually taking on privation and uh, sacrifice. And I don't use the word suffering. We're not suffering because it's volitional. It's a choice. And so um, it's more about uh, how, how we can, you know, eh, as a father, you obviously are willing to endure uh, discomfort, right? You know, you'd, you would, you know, if we were, we've found ourselves in a situation of privation, Right. I would imagine and I know you well enough that you would go without food so your children could eat. Right. If if push came to shove that way. Right. And that's really what I'm saying. It's like if you understand that we're all in this together. Right. I think about the Haudenosaunee people, the six nations. Right. And the great law of peace that we need to have a 700 plus year plan. Right. That. We are cognizant that our actions and our words impact seven generations forward and backward. And so, yes, we're not going to see the future generations. We may see our children and our grandchildren, maybe even great-grandchildren if we're fortunate. And yet, you know, there is a lineage, there is a continuity of life beyond ourselves. And so, are we going to foster that so that all life on this planet can flourish or are we going to continue to be self-absorbed and think only, you know, of our own needs and desires and wants? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll speak for myself and my own experience. That's certainly something that I feel very fortunate. And then I use the word fortunate very deliberately because I know that my path and my experience and who, who I've gotten to spend time around, who I've gotten to learn from is not the, the, the normal experience, not what most people get to get to have. And that's obviously why it's so important for me to uh, create other invitations for more people to to enter into it. Because had I not had people to model this for me, had I not had elders, had I not had uncles and aunties and, and people who I met along my journey, then I, I don't think I would be any different than folks out there who are still wandering and, and looking for something. In fact, and this is actually a good segue into something else I wanted to speak with you about. I remember clearly when, and I've shared this story many times on the podcast before, I know I've shared it with you, my, my impulse and my motivation for leaving the East coast originally was because I was so lost. I had so many of the surface level boxes checked off in my life, job, income, community, family nearby, all of that was taken care of, but I just had no clue what I was supposed to do as a man. This is like my mid early mid twenties. And I remember when I started to have what what I think of as my personal awakening and my own rite of passage into figuring out who I am and what I'm here to do, I I started to feel what now I look back on and say it was, it was my ego coming online, my ego that was craving significance that genuinely, because in my heart, I just wanted to be of service. I just wanted to help. I just wanted to do my part in making the world a better place. And up until that moment, I had no idea how to do that. There was nobody showing me the way there. It was a very conventional model that was handed to me. Go to school, get a degree, get a job, help people and raise a small family. 
but I knew that there was more than just that. And when I started to feel that coming online and I saw these possibilities, my ego was ready to run wild. I had, I had the same thoughts. I'm sure a lot of people do like, Oh, I can go and I can go to the jungles and study with medicine people and then bring that back to the United States and, you know, serve medicine to people, uh, which I, I know is something that I know for, for you, especially you hold, you carry a lot of vigilance around because, and maybe this is a distinction. I'd like to hear you weigh in on it. I, I think making the distinction between intentionality and, and wanting to do good and, and to, to bring goodness into the world. And then I use the word ignorance, but very carefully, you know, not knowing better or not understanding the gravity of these, these lineages and the, the, the depth and the reverence that's needed. So I, I kind of serving up a softball for you. Cause I know this is something you care deeply about, but I, I just want to open that up because I know there's a lot of people who will listen and they have really good intentions and motivations, but with, without the guidance or the modeling for them. Yeah. So, you know, again, going back to a more colonized and often appropriative model, um, there's, you know, for, for me, um, I make a very clear distinction between sacraments, which are sacred plant medicines, as well as the fungi. Um, that are also ubiquitous in in ceremonies throughout indigenous cultures around the world, and psychedelics and entheogens, right? And so, for me, unfortunately, uh, you know, the word psychedelic and entheogen are interchangeable. And for me, this is an affront and a disrespect to the sacred plant medicines and these sacred fungi that have thousands and thousands of years of lineage. Right. So for me, psychedelics and entheogen is, is a Western colonized descriptor. Right. And my preference is that we employ the word sacraments when it comes to these, these holy medicines that have been around for millennia, um, as well as the fungi. And, um, uh, and with that is the ceremonial reverence and respect that has been cultivated also for millennia with indigenous cultures. Right. Because often, what happens is that um, people that are taking these these uh, sacraments, but outside the context of ceremony, um, there is no container, right? And so it's disrespectful of of the sacred plant medicine as well as the indigenous people and the struggle that they endured. I mean, literally, people have died to ensure that these ceremonies could be preserved for future generations within their own traditions and their own lineages and cultures. Mm-hmm. And this is often overlooked or the other <clears throat> counterpart is that there are individuals who are not qualified to conduct these ceremonies. Right? Maybe they have an experience down in South America for a couple of weeks with, with grandmother Aya. Okay. And then they come back and they think that they are somehow now qualified to be able to administer these sacred plant medicines. Right. And of course, within the native American church, the elaborate protocols, ceremonially, the songs, the procedures, all of which are, uh, require years and years of training and uh, apprenticeship to be potentially granted permission to receive a fireplace and therefore to administer this medicine in a sacred manner. Yeah. And it's- I, I don't know why this just dawned on me, for, but for some reason it just popped into my head. You don't see anybody out there saying, going to mass for the first time in a Catholic church and then saying, oh my God, I want to be a priest. And then presuming that they're able to, I, literally, I don't think I've ever heard of anyone who, who, who I, I can't, it, it seems funny to think about that, that when it comes to, and maybe it's, maybe it's a matter of um, regulation and exposure. I think a lot of people have not had exposure to traditional. And, and when I say traditional, I mean, really traditional c- ceremonial lineages that have gone on for generations and generations. And so there's, I think when it comes to something where Catholicism, for example, has been so in the forefront and so many people have witnessed and experienced those ceremonies and practices that they're like, oh, I would never think of assuming that I could be a priest, but because there's this ancient technology that is coming out of the jungle that I'm seeing for the first time, that's not, I guess the word regulated comes to mind. Maybe there's a better term. I know you're pretty, you're a lot better with words than I am. Well, the analogy that I use, because it's also, you know, indigenous ceremonial practices or medicine ways, 
I, what I, <clears throat> the analogy I usually prefer, but you're the one about Catholicism is equally valid and true. Um, you know, within the Western colonized world, we have allopathic medicine, modern medicine. And essentially to become a medical doctor, it requires around 10 years of training. You know, you've got your schooling for four years, you've got your residencies, your rotations. So around 10, 12 years, maybe you'll become, you know, a, a qualified medical doctor. Well, no one in the Western world would ever be presumptuous enough to call themselves a medical doctor if they haven't gone through that medical training. You know, I am also, in addition to, you know, one who practices, you know, ceremonial medicine and traditional healing, um, I'm also an EMT. I have been trained in, in uh, emergency medicine. Well, it's actually against the law for me to practice beyond my scope, right? I could lose my license. I could be incarcerated if I even practice the, the scope of a nurse, for example. Okay, so there are restrictions on what I am uh, by law qualified to perform. And yet, you know, when it comes to indigenous medicine ways, there isn't that same level of respect because I think at the heart of the matter is the, this appropriative model. So they don't understand and we talked about ignorance, right? And for me, and the root, the root of the word ignorance is to ignore, right? To ignore the truth, right? And so, um, an individual can participate in a, a traditional purification laws, or or set up in the Native American church, and then somehow think, you know, they don't understand the the, the degree of devotion and mastery and apprenticeship that's required to be able to administer these medicines in a safe way, right? And so. Um, you know, in all of my travels around the world, speaking with other chiefs and medicine people, um, they say it requires 10 years of apprenticeship to become a bona fide traditional medicine practitioner. And again, we're talking about literal blood, sweat, and tears in this case. And so, you know, I always encourage people in the West who have this impulse to want to go to the jungle and learn with the, the traditional uh, medicine people there to, uh, to have uh, turtle medicine. Got to slow way down. Take your time, because there is so much to learn and absorb uh, in terms of the specific songs and protocols and procedures and nuances and subtleties that can only be gleaned over years of association and and discipline. Yeah, I, I like that, and I've heard you say that many times before, and I agree with it as well. Um, and I, again, I'll be the first to admit that. I have experienced in the past the, uh, I guess what I would call it is the is the impulse to move quickly towards something. And the story I was telling myself was there, there's no time to waste. You know, people people need this now. And so, obviously, I, what I what I've learned is that it's not really my responsibility to accelerate my learning so that I can provide something to other people. There's already folks out there like yourself and other people who I've sat with and, and studied with and learned from who are already doing this. And if it's really a matter of you, you want to make an impact and make a difference and create greater access and, and really help people to heal, then I think it's important to ask ourselves the question, what is my role right now? What is my role right now? Because some people are just bridges. I, I know many people who are, who have no interest in in uh in serving medicine in in this way or conducting ceremonies but are more than happy to bring people along and say hey you need to meet chief philip scott or you need to meet uh, these other medicine practitioners out there yeah. um, that's that's a that's a really important role to play because uh not everybody knows how to access some of those people so i guess that's the 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 thing i i encourage people to to do is ask yourself if you are feeling this compulsion that we're describing here and for myself, not harboring any judgment, but just ask yourself the question, what is the rush? What is mm -hmm. the sense? What is the urgency that yes. with, with which you're, you're telling, you're telling yourself or believing that things need to move faster or you need to accelerate this. What, what is that urgency actually coming from and really trying to get to the bottom of it? Because I know for myself and I know what I presume to have to, to exist in other people is there is some egoic attachment to significance and authority and uh, positions of, of power and influence that are attached to it. And in my opinion, that, that taints the, the potential of the medicine and it interferes and gets in the way of what the medicine is actually going to do. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, if this, so the other thing that's important is like, these ceremonies are not experiences, they're a way of life. If it is your way of life, 
you're willing to slow down. Mm-hmm. You're willing to take your time because you know that you have the time because you create the time for the things that are important to you. So if this is your way of life, you're actually not going to short circuit the learning and the teaching because as a consequence, you're going to have significant gaps in your knowledge. And those gaps in your knowledge are what's going to harm yourself and your family, as well as the other people that you are endeavoring to serve. Right? We live in a culture that loves shortcuts. And what the problem with shortcuts is that people are going to get hurt. And the word that we use in the West, in the allopathic paradigm, is negligence. Right. So if you are not qualified, if you haven't really... <clears throat> gained all of the the knowledge and the mastery necessary as a foundation from which to begin, then you are actually potentially harming yourself and others. And that's tantamount to negligence. And I mean, I reside in the San Francisco Bay Area. And so I do a lot of damage control here. You know, there's a lot of so-called shamans out there and people who think they're qualified, but aren't. And as a consequence, you know, they do more harm than good. And so the other thing is you have to cultivate patience so you don't become a patient or create other patients, you know, as a, right. So we literally have to learn how to, and that's, that's mastery in any endeavor, really. If you want to become a martial artist, you know, if you want to become a black belt in, in any of the martial arts, you're looking at also about 10 years of apprenticeship to move through the echelons of mastery and responsibility and praxis, Right. And so why we would think that in such a sophisticated ancient medicine way that have been around for thousands of years, how we think that we can, you know, you know, just kind of pop in as an observer, experience something and take something away um, and then exercise that in the world, you know, I think is, is very dangerous, actually. Well, and it, may, it brings me all the way back full circle to where we started this conversation. Because I believe that's where a lot of the urgency ultimately stems from is the rapidly changing environment around us. I mean, that just looking at the accelerated evolution and change and transformation that's happening on a cultural level, on a climate level, on a financial level, socially, it's, it's like it's getting faster every single year. And I, I see it in my children. I see my children that seem to be growing up in, in all of the ways faster than I remember growing up. And of course I had a different, I had a different perspective of my own growing up process, but I, I believe that there's a connection between that urgency that we all feel on every level and how that plays into the way we look at solutions or the way that we look at how I can have an impact. So, so what do you say to somebody who's feeling the urgency on the planet, who's feeling Hey, chief, we don't really have a lot of time here. It's looking like it looks like that we got to start taking some action yesterday and then mm-hmm. starting and negotiating these urgent tendencies when it comes to how we approach what we really think will make an impact. Well, I think the motivation piece is really key, right? Is this urgency based upon you wanting to draw attention to yourself, right? Again, we live in a in a culture where you know you have your Instagram page and you have this and you know you're you're basically trying to show the world that that you are important and that you have something to share, and I'm not saying that that should be negated, right? But I still believe that it needs to be tempered a little bit, right? There is an urgency, but the urgency is not for one individual alone, but the urgency has to do with the survivability of this planet and all life upon her. So for me, it is. Uh, we have to transcend the rhetoric now, right? This is, you know, for me, for us to uh, work collectively to achieve solutions to uh, mitigate the rising temperatures, right? So it's not just about, you know, uh, politics and punditry. It really is about people and seeing how we're going to be able to survive. I mean, it's the same rhetoric around, you know, the elimination of guns, you know, because it threatens the Second Amendment, right? Versus saying, you know, is it really necessary for a 13-year-old to be carrying an assault rifle? I mean, there's got to be, a, you know, a pragmatic conversation here and a realistic one, okay? Mm-hmm. And so how can we collectively come together and not continue to obfuscate and, and uh, deny what's really happening because life is in the balance here, right? And mm-hmm. so... Um, we really are running out of time, but it's not necessarily an individual's urgency to, you know, 
to uh, short circuit the process of their learning and growth, right? But you teach what you know, and you also teach based upon what you've been sanctioned, right? So for some of your listeners who do have that compelling urge to want to learn to administer medicine and find yourself a mentor, find yourself an individual whom you respect, whom you can trust and uh, become teachable, right? Learn how to be humble, right? And as a consequence, uh, you can receive those transmissions and eventually over time, perhaps the blessing to be able to, you know, serve medicine or to, you know, conduct ceremony. But it's a process. I mean, uh, in, in Native cultures, one cannot even regard oneself as a sun dancer until you've completed 16 or 17 years of sun dancing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's cycles that we move through, right? So, that for me is the, is the humility piece, right? That you can't even really regard yourself as a sun dancer until you've completed a 16-year-plus cycle, right? And that's really what we have to bring is, is the humility to any sacred path that we're walking, regardless of the tradition. Um, find oneself a, a mentor and, you know, not that you surrender your autonomy, which is your sovereignty to make decisions, but rather you have to be willing to give up your authority, right? But you think you know, so you can actually learn what is uh, being transmitted to you, right? Um, and again, we have to come together in solidarity as a species to find pragmatic solutions, you know, for our climate crisis so that all of the children of the world will be able to survive all of our relations, not just two-legged human beings. Yeah. Agreed. And I think that there's, there's people out there who have a little bit of a, maybe a fear, let's just call it a fear or an apprehension of reaching out to people who could be mentors, people who have the experience and the authority and the qualifications to mentor and teach in these ways, probably for a number of different reasons. But I know one of them is, is because people are afraid that they might be told to scram or, you know, go, go walk the other way, or you're, you know, this is not for you when they feel something is really compelling them in that direction. And what I, my experience is when you approach these these ways, especially when it comes to mentors and, and wanting to learn, genuinely learning, when you approach it with reverence, a deep reverence and respect for all of the things that I don't know, patience, patience, willingness to learn, to listen, to listen deeply, more deeply than I've ever listened before, and uh, and a commitment, a devotion to to go beyond and to demonstrate with your actions, with my actions, that I'm willing to go beyond what's comfortable for me in service of this way. Those are the things that, I mean, I, I, I'll, I could, I'll say just from what I've seen, there's mentors all over that they, they get giddy over that because there's also this desire to, to have a legacy, knowing that nobody's going to be around forever. And, and these, these teachings, they, they do need to go on so that we can negotiate the challenges of the future. And they need to be held with, with, those, with those qualities. Like you said, humility, reverence, respect, patience. Uh, so I, I've seen in, in almost all the cases that when people show up in that way, that there's, there's an openness and a willingness to teach. Absolutely. I mean, myself included, you know, when I, when I found, or when the path opened up for me to see my mentor, um, you know, in the native way, my first root medicine teacher, um, I, Know, offered him, I did the traditional offering, which was a, a wool blanket and tobacco. And I said, I, you know, I submit to your teachings and I request to become an apprentice. And uh, it wasn't an immediate yes. Oh, he reflected on it. He dreamt on it. You know, and then he got back in touch with me and he says, yes, the spirits say that it is permissible. And that's when the formal tutelage began. And uh, so, uh, you know, the elders, the medicine people, the chiefs that I know, we're looking for sincerity. We're looking for commitment, right? Because it's an arduous journey, right? 
there's going to be gateways of fear that you pass through in the beginning. And any spiritual aspirant on any path is going to encounter fear. And that's false evidence appearing real, which are illusions and projections, right? Or F everything and run, which is the other acronym, acronym that I prefer. Because there's a tendency to flee. Because all of these medicine paths involve excavation, right? You are the dig site. We're going to actually dive in and we're going to help to, uh, to bring to the surface the wounds, fears, traumas, and issues, right? That's really what it means to become a traditional medicine person is that you work on the aspects of yourself that come from the wounds of your family or from your lineages, right? And that, that you, you learn the antidotes, right? You learn uh, how to liberate yourself from the shackles of these wounds. Right. And that becomes part of your medicine and your understanding. And it's not an easy journey. And that's the commitment piece that's required. Right. Yeah. It's so easy to, to run, right? Uh, when you're confronted with aspects of yourself that really require your love and attention, compassion, and refinement. Right. But again, we live in a culture also that's so easy to discard. Right. And I see, you know, that actually a phenomenon that I, I also, um, we didn't talk about this earlier, but for me, it's very disconcerting because what I see, you know, we live in a disposable culture, which is also a part of our climate crisis as well, the consumptive aspect of it, right? And consumptive spiritual practices as well, you know, and often there, the economic stratification in terms of, you know, you have to pay this amount of money, but whereas for us, our indigenous ceremonies, there's no specific charge or fee, right? So everyone's welcome to come and pray, right? But um, uh, the uh, you know, the what can I say about this? Um, I think it's challenging for me because it's uh, what I appreciate about you and about this podcast is that we're willing to have the difficult conversations, right? But what I notice in the world is that you don't agree with someone and you discard them. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, for me, that's just a disposability or maybe you have issues with people and rather than cultivating the courage to embrace the conversation, right. There's this tendency to flee, to discard, maybe text or email and, and eliminate them from your life because they're not in accord with you or, you know, you have some kind of disagreement, but the problem is that's also poison, right. That's also toxin. And so, what happens is that this continues to percolate in other arenas of your relationships if you don't come to resolution and closure. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have a cord. Right? We live in a world of diversity. So it's possible to agree to disagree and still understand that everyone has a place on this earth. Right? But you know, in your own personal lives, it's being able to have difficult conversations right? so that there can be the possibility of understanding and healing. And maybe not necessarily accord or agreement, but at least we can have detente, right? There can be peaceful relations between people. And that peace, to tie it all in here, goes back to how the planet can cool, right? Mm -hmm. Because for me, peaceability, peacefulness is a way that you remain calm and cool, right? So if the world is more peaceful, Right? We don't have these aggressions, these, these, these fires, these conflagrations that are happening in the world, right? If things are more peaceful, then there's a possibility of dialogue, possibility of understanding, possibility of respect and love and reverence. And for me, that's the key, coming back to peace within ourselves by also having difficult conversations. So there's the elimination or resolution of conflict. Agreed. And wow, I, I really appreciate what you just dropped on us there. I think that's a really appropriate place to leave off for now and put the bookmark back into the into the pages. Uh, Chief Philip, always an honor to sit with you and um, miss being able to sit with you so closely now that I'm here in Texas, but I know we will again soon. Uh, before we wrap it up here, would you just, once again, for people who don't know, direct people where they can get in contact with you if they'd like to learn more? Thank you very much. Yes, uh, I certainly... Welcome sincere, committed apprentices and students and clients. Um, so best way to reach me is 
uh, via phone, actually, because um, I'm going to be traveling in high ceremonies. Um, summer is beginning to shift into high season for us. So 415-310-0981. Uh, also email philip, P-H-I-L-L-I-P, at ancestralvoice.org. Uh, we do have a Facebook Facebook page, Ancestral Voice. And um, probably this summer we will be uh, reconstructing our website, and that's www.ancestralvoice.org. So those are the, the best ways to reach me. And I would love text and phone. You know, I love the oral tradition. Uh, and so, um, yeah, love talking story with people. Yes. Well, Chief, thank you so much again for bringing your wisdom and giving your time here today. I always enjoy a chance to sit down and speak with you, especially when we get to record it and share it with others. So lots of love to you and look forward to when we get to do this again. Likewise, Jetty. It's always a pleasure and an honor and lots of blessings. And yeah, I miss you uh, and Carrie and the kids. Um, and, but I pray that Texas is good for you and that you really can flourish and continue to grow. Yes. Thank you so much. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Make sure that you swing over to risingman.org. Check out our offering for dojo coming up, risingman.org slash dojo. It's happening September 15th to the 18th right here down in Austin, Texas. So get yourself signed up today. Go check it out on the website and see what it's all about. Make sure you go and give us a follow on Instagram at Rising Man Movement. Give us a subscribe on the podcast and on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the rising man movement so that you get information for this episode and every episode whenever we pop. Big love to everybody out there who's been supporting the movement all these years. And even if you're just listening for the first time, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for choosing to spend time here on the Rising Man podcast with our community. Got so much going on this year, so many opportunities for men to jump in. So please become a bigger part of our community. I love that you listen to the podcast, but I want to see your face. I want to see you. We want to get to know you. So come and check us out, risingman.org. Go check it. All right, y'all. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.